Multispective is a podcast where we interview individuals around the world with unique stories and experiences. Guests share in detail some of the traumas they faced. You know, because I, I feel in some ways so disgusting and broken on the inside, you know, I'm going to work on my outside um, and that's going to make me feel better. Mental health issues they've lived with. I was very hyper, like I felt good. <laughs> that's one thing of mania, like you feel good. Decisions they've made. My life changed drastically in that moment. That one moment, I can't even begin to describe to people how hard, how good, how scary, how disturbing and emotional that moment was smoking crack. And more importantly, how they found strength, resilience, and healing. Just being able to think and have conversations and walk places, um, that really helped me um, you know, accelerate the, the, the process of you know, rebuilding burnt bridges. Tune in, subscribe, rate and review Multispective on www.multispective.org or your preferred podcasting app. You can also find us on any of the social media platforms that you use. Your feedback is always welcome. Lots of love, Multispective. The neonatal intensive care unit, or NICU, is not a place most parents expect to find themselves. For parents whose child has a stay in the NICU, whether for a few days, weeks, or even months, it's a time of mixed emotion. Gratitude for a safe birth and excellent medical care, yet anxiety until the child is discharged. Here in the U.S., one in ten pregnancies are preterm and driven by a range of factors such as advances in medical care. Of the 3.8 million births each year in the U.S. alone, around 150,000, or 1 in 25 births, end up spending some time in a NICU, with significant variation by region and demographic. It's a place where you will meet the kindest, most compassionate and talented medical workers, nurses, and hospital staff. As every parent who has had a child in a NICU can tell you, these are individuals who work around the clock and with full dedication to ensure all NICU babies have a brighter future. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to calm your nerves, ease your anxieties, or quell your deepest fears. From Not Today Media, I'm JD, and this is story number 30 of the What's Your Story podcast, The Unseen Challenges of Motherhood. So my name's Laura, I'm in the UK, um, I am 33 years old, um, which I suppose is quite a valid point in the story. Um, I've got an 18 month old called Eloise and I'm getting married to my partner this year, so all like, a very exciting year. Um, so for me, I mentioned my age because I feel like when I hit my 30s, that's when things started coming together. And yeah. I've heard so many other people say that as well. Um, so I, I guess if I was talking to my past self, I'd be like, <laughs> it will come together at some point. Like, I promise will, you, 30 is a good number. <laughs> yeah, it will all work out. But for me, um, I suppose I can't really remember being... I've Basically, I've got general generalised anxiety. That's my main condition as it were and I have had depression as well but I think the anxiety side of things is part of who I am as a person now anyway um 
but I don't feel depressed anymore. So I feel like I'm post that part of my life. I think I think you mentioned something about ex ex depression. I'm not sure if I've ever heard that, but I, I, yeah. I like that 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 conversation. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, and I I feel like. I suppose it's like being an ex-smoker. You know, you can always go back to smoking. It's not like it's ever dissolved from your life. Um, And I suppose for me, I I don't worry about being depressed again because I've got all the right things now in place to know that, okay, well, if that does happen. Yeah. And and it's like people say, you know, I've got asthma. So so have an asthma flare-up. That's normal, right? If I had a depression flare up as such, yeah, I, it's, I don't think it's something to necessarily be scared of. Obviously, you don't want it to happen, but if you've got the it's, right things that you've yeah. sort of put in your toolbox beforehand, then it's quite manageable. I for, for me anyway, I suppose. No. Um. So, so yeah, I think generalized anxiety now is probably part of who I am, and. I did go through quite a big period of working out how best to manage it. So I don't remember. I remember when it started kind of, but when I was younger, I don't remember being this person where I was socially anxious or, you know, worried about everything. I genuinely think that a lot of my anxiety and depression boils down to being on the contraceptive pill. Um, so it just all lines up very nicely to when I sort of went on a particular pill. And then when I look back, I I think, oh, okay, that now that all sort of adds up. Yeah, kind of um, makes sense. Yeah, because basically I the reason I say that is because when I came off the pill to try for my daughter, then I started to feel like, oh, okay, this is kind of lifting a little bit and I can see it sort of with clearer eyes about, what that process was um and then I think again I think the build-up to this is quite important to what my story is so over I suppose my depression started in 2013 and then I would say 2019 20-ish is when it sort of subsided which is also in relation to when I met my now partner, but interesting, <laughs> yeah, a lot of my anxiety and depression sort of boiled down to self-esteem and I'd had lots of bad sure. relationships yeah. during that time as well, which is funny because this is the time where like me and Lex were really close because she was sort of like guiding me through that period and trying to yeah. be like a voice of reason all the time. Um, so long story short, I managed to reach out for some support. The NHS isn't necessarily the, the easiest road to go down when it comes to mental yeah. health support. Um, but we we have an okay system where I live because I think the mental health services are split up into regions. So where I live, you can self-refer. That self-referral process takes quite a while um but it is there where you you know you don't have to go and see a doctor you can literally fill out a form and say look this i was just going to ask and you know talk about this what that means like self-refer because i'm not sure if that's necessarily the case always here in the u.s no so where where i live and again this is it may be different in different counties in the uk yeah but there's literally a a website that norfolk and suffolk well-being and you go onto the website and there's a self-referral form and you literally just fill out. Oh, I no. think it might have like kind of a, is it a PHQ score system for um, like anxiety and depression, that sort of thing? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure you fill out something like that. And and then it can be quite a long wait. I mean, the, the wait times here in the UK are pretty bad, you know, especially yeah. when I always think, right, okay, so <laughs> for, to be blunt... Well, you might be dead by the time you see someone no, because I if mean, you're that ill, then by the time you get there, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, mean, but, it's, I mean, it's blunt, but I mean, it's it's quite honest. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever like experienced what that. Well, I haven't experienced like what that system of of going through that you know, mental health wise, um, but I know what that looks like just on like your physical health, you know, from from parents and you know my, what my wife does and. 
it's scary. I mean, how long you have to wait for, yeah. for things and, you know, it's the more specialized and not just, you know, an emergent situation. It's like, well, doesn't yeah. seem like serious um, no, so yeah. it's the same with the gps here like you have to unless you ring up at 8 a.m on the day you can't get an appointment but yeah. then you can only book appointments six weeks in advance so it's like you have to predict that you're gonna be ill you're gonna be, yeah <laughs> there's a chance in six weeks i'm not gonna feel good i'm gonna make yeah. an appointment if that's okay yeah <laughs> um so through that so what frustrates me with that process is that I think when you're in that situation where you do need that support, I think it's really hard to go and get it because the last yeah. thing you want to do is A, admit to it, B, like take the actions to go and get it. Yeah. But you can go and get it. And um, through that process, I had some CBT. I had some talking therapy. And ultimately, I ended up going on to Talipram, which I would say going on to Citalopram saved my life. Um it was like the final piece in the puzzle, I think. I think yeah. all of those different therapies played their part in me becoming more well mentally. But I think the final piece of the puzzle was going on to Citalopram, which, again, I would always, you know, if my friends feel that way, I always say, you know, that is what happened to me, that taking that tablet at the end idea. of the day was the, like last thing I wanted to do perhaps but the best thing I've ever done so so right so that's sort of the backstory of, of yeah. fitting all the the bits together and they say in CBT like putting together a toolbox of working yeah. through anxiety and I really do feel like that is what it is and it's nice now because I can look back as a more well person and yeah. be like yeah and I've done all those bits and now I have that toolbox right and again, that's why I say, you know, if I were to get depression again, I'm not necessarily worried about and, it because yeah. I've got those things in place. I know what it feels like as well. I know if I, I do still get anxiety and I can feel it when it starts to get a bit heavy. Yeah. But I can, I'm very much aware of that now. So I can sort of say, you know, yeah. I'm what what is making me feel that way what do i need to pull back on normally yeah. some sort of stress and i think that's a good way to look at it too i mean I, I i i say it all the time that that's why i'm not a fan of telling people that like you know here's 10 ways to get rid of your depression or here's six ways to manage it maybe but you know it's it's not going to go away because and that's not being dark and you know pessimistic that's just the fact that you have no idea what life has in store for you next but that's, I mean, that's what I always try and tell people. And it's beautifully worded there that it's a toolbox you have now yeah. that, yeah, it's going to happen again, but here's what worked the last time. And there's a good starting point versus have no yeah. clue um, so you know and starting from ground one. Yeah. So then the, the sort of next stage, so I've, I'm getting better. I fairly low anxiety because I'm on Citalopram. And what I would say for me, my experience on Citalopram is that it just levels me out. Like it takes away all the background noise in my head where it gets a bit busy and, you know, starts overthinking. Citalopram generally like levels that out for me. Wow. It doesn't have, it's, I wouldn't say it's the perfect drug. Like I, I mean, I'm on quite a low dose to what I was on now, but generally I can't cry. Like even if I can feel sadness... <laughs> But I physically cannot cry. Physically which, cannot cry. Yeah, which is weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I, I can feel sad and I can feel like I want to cry. Or, you know, I used to always cry at watching things like X Factor or um, <laughs> Britain's Got Talent. That always used to well me up. <laughs> and now I'm just like, okay. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's sad. <laughs> um, but very, like, mellow. Um, so I got, I mean, my job when I was at my most ill was quite stressful you know that there's a phrase where it's like you can have three things it's like you, your work your home life and I think it's finances something like that and if you drop one of those then the balance is out yeah so my relationships weren't great with partners because they were all quite toxic relationships and my work was very stressful so they were like the big triggers for me yeah, and then um, I got I met Dan, and that was the relationship bit sorted. I got a new job, and that was that bit sorted, and and everything was fine. And then I went through a redundancy process. At I was 
When I was made redundant, I was 30 weeks pregnant, which was, theoretically was a legal process that it happened. Is, yeah. Um, but I think that is what the stress of that situation is why I ended up having Eloise 10 weeks mm -hmm. earlier. It's not, I can't ever say for a fact because there's no way of proving that. Right. Um, I think the stress of the situation is probably what brought my sure. leg on. Um, so yeah, 10 weeks early, fairly normal labor other than the fact that well, I say normal labour. I'd done all the done all the hypnobirthing and stuff beforehand, <laughs> although I got through half of the course because obviously I had another ten right, weeks. Right, you were ready for that, right? Um, me and Dan were talking about this the other day, actually, and I was saying how like you can do the hypnobirthing, you can prepare in whatever way you want, but the reality is, I don't You're know not. anyone whose birth plan has actually gone to plan because no. the minute you those <laughs> we've we've done it twice now, and I can tell you the first time we had a plan, the second time caused us to say. I don't care because well, <laughs> you can't. You're right. Um, so fairly normal birth for, for the situation, um, and we were really lucky with Eloise. She was born at uh, four pounds one, so fairly hefty for a, a um, early, thirty yeah. weeker. Um, we did five weeks in NICU, um, so she was on breathing support. So she she was on. Um, CPAP and then Vapotherm, and she had quite a long treatment for UV for her jaundice, which is all quite normal for preemie babies. Yeah. Um, Dan's coping mechanism of that process was to take no time off work and to pull our bathroom out. Um, so he so was like, I'm going to cause as much havoc as possible. Um, <laughs> he, he was still at NICU every day, but the poor bloke yeah. was getting up at... So the, the last two weeks we were on the ward, we were staying at the hospital. And this is something else I find really bizarre is one of the doctors, I think he was South African, he couldn't believe that in the UK you can't stay on the NICU ward. You can't. So the only times we got to stay on the ward was in, they basically do it when you're about to leave. So they sort of prepare you for what life is like yeah. with a baby after NICU rather than just being like, here's this tiny baby. Here's off a tiny go. baby. Have fun. Yeah. Um, but prior, so we did three weeks of like basically being at NICU, coming home, going to sleep. I was expressing at home at night, going back. Yeah. But Dan was then doing that and also working. And also working. Because obviously he hadn't, I think, I think he maybe took, no, I think he took like five days off, <laughs> if that. But because he hadn't anticipated it happening, he's self employed and had booked work in, so he couldn't do yeah. anything. Um, so, so he would go to work, come to the hospital, be with me and Eloise, go to bed, do the whole thing again. Do the whole thing over again, yeah. Then pulled the bathroom out at the same time. <laughs> so, that, but then you afterwards, know. he was like, that was the only way I could like handle yeah. that situation because yeah. it was the only thing I had control of. Yeah. Um, I know that feeling well. So, yeah, we did five weeks in NICU and then we came home. And there's a little bit of support there for mental. I mean, it's a very traumatic experience and no one can prepare you for that situation. No. You can't, I don't think you can ever prepare to be a parent full stop. No. And you probably would say the same, like we've got one daughter, but you probably can't be prepared to have a second either. Like no. <laughs> you sort of learn how to manage one and then you've got another one and everything and then, changes. And, and, right. Then there's nothing that you did with the first one that's going to be the same with the second. Um no, um, there's, and there's just nothing that prepares you, really. Uh, you know, I mean, how many books did you read? How many courses did you take? And what did you actually come out with that, you know, yeah. made sense for your situation, you know? <laughs> and, you know, exactly like you say, every child is going to be different. So you can read all the books, but you might piece one little sentence and another little sentence to get to where you're going to be. And yeah. there's never any chapters in the book about what happens if your baby comes early or what happens if your baby needs a bit of extra support so yeah that's something I'm quite keen to at some point look into a little bit more in terms of like what why don't we talk about it and yeah. how can we talk about it because I feel like parents should be prepared for that situation I think maybe because it's so taboo you know feel it's almost like people don't want to wish it so yeah. they don't want to read it 
We don't want to talk about it, right? Happen. Yeah. But then when it does happen, you need to sort of know, okay, well, these are the sort of things to anticipate. This is what the journey might look like. I mean, obviously, everyone's journey is very different. And you don't Um, want to believe that that's going to happen to you. You know, even if there was something, you know, you also have to prepare somebody that, look, you know, here's this is a possibility. Yes, this is considered full term. But it's still a situation that's, you know, not the most ideal that we have to have a little, like you said, extra support for. Um, Yeah, a little bit. So what happened? What triggered then, you know, when when you knew that Eloise was coming 10 weeks early, what what kind of triggered automatically? Can you recall in your head that was like, oh, not Um, even just, you know, you know, making sure you have X, Y and Z prepared. But what what kind of parenting triggers you feel like went on? I was so calm, but I think I'd literally gone into like fight or flight and I just had like, there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Um, I did also have an epidural, so that did help a lot. <laughs> I was again talking to Dan about this the other day because we're talking about whether we would like to have another child or not. And he'd said, because one of the things I had to deal with after Eloise was there's a feeling of loss in that you didn't get to have that full-term pregnancy. So I basically lost the whole end of my third trimester, yeah. or the whole of my third trimester. And especially when you're going into hospital and seeing other pregnant women, I used to look around and think, like, why didn't I get to finish? Why? I didn't I do the full thing. So yeah. Dan had said, you know, I'd quite like for us to have another baby. One of the reasons being I want you to experience having that sort of normal pregnancy but god knows if it would you know ever happen you know what we said what is normal right um and funnily enough because so this was also during covid pretty much i think we were kind of on the back end of covid but yeah still very much like in masks with the hospital if you if you went into labor you had to be triaged first so when i my waters broke we went to hospital and they wouldn't let Dan in with me initially because they had to check yeah. that I was in labour before he could come in. Um, so <laughs> basically, because of that, I'd been working from home and every now and then I'd put a little bit into my bag to take. And, and luckily, yeah. I'd had a bag packed for packed, even, yeah. though I, <laughs> even though I was <laughs> like still 30 weeks, my bag was pretty much packed. Most of it was irrelevant because we had like, <laughs> baby grows couldn't wear them nappies <laughs> couldn't wear them like most of it was like we get to the hospital i'm like great well none of that well, none that, of was ex- that, that worked thanks yeah yeah <laughs> and that but i just remember being really not worried and i think you just go into right we're doing this now then so i'm i'm having a baby now um yeah so i'd and I often say to Dan, like, were you, were you worried at the t- at the time? Like, we do still go through it, uh, like, sort of talk through it a bit. And I don't think, I think he was more worried about me, like, what I was going through. I think he sure. was quite confident that Eloise was okay because I suppose he had a bit more awareness of what was happening in the room and what the doctors were saying and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, he's kind of. Kind of on the, not necessarily on the outside, but you yeah. know, like not, not like right in the, the center of, of attention like you are as the mother, you yeah, know. And he probably had like a bigger picture than I did, where obviously, sure. I mean, you're just focusing on getting the job done at the time. Right. Um, but I think we did struggle initially, you know, those first couple of, well, I think the entire time in NICU. And we have to, so long story short is that when you again in our community or in our hospital um there is a psycho i think he was a psychologist on the ward that you would see like i think we literally saw him i don't even know if we saw him once on the ward but we had like some follow-up appointments with him afterwards yeah and so we did talk about this but one of the things for me and dan was he was he didn't show any fear any worry and he he wasn't scared he wasn't upset and I remember saying to him like why aren't you like upset about this why aren't you worried and you know when we started then talking through it it was that that was 
that's all he felt like he could do. He was like, I am the dad in this situation. Yeah. I feel like I need to prop you up and be the strong person. But yeah. there were times where, like, I think it was the first night he left me at the hospital and he said he was crying when he walked to the car because he just felt right. so helpless. That's when it hits you, yeah. Yeah, because he just couldn't... And it was completely out of his hands. He couldn't do anything. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting when you sort of look back on those situations and think, oh, right, you were playing your role and I was playing my role. And yeah. that's sort of how we survived it. How you managed, I remember yeah. saying to my mum as well that when it had just happened, like... Do you think me and I mean me and Dan have always been a very strong couple. We don't really argue. We're very much on the same wavelength. And I said to Mum, "Do you think me and Dan are going to get through this?" I just and there was no reason for me to say it other than like I can't see how anyone would come out of this like okay alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but we did, and probably going through that as you know, no one will ever experience what we've experienced because it's so individual to everyone you yeah. know every every birth is going to be different to everyone sure yeah um and no one will ever experience the exact same situation that we experienced and i think for us we know that that will always be something that we have together where you know again i suppose it's like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and it didn't kill us so We'll be right back. This podcast is humbly sponsored by BetterHelp. As a holistic health coach turned mental health advocate, I know the importance of finding the right support. Why? Because I've been battling anxiety and depression for over 10 years, and I know I'm not the only one who struggles with their mental health. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen. Talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. All you do is just fill out a questionnaire and help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. I say this all not as someone telling you to simply click on another sponsor, but as someone who's been seeing a BetterHelp therapist for the past year. I've never felt more valued, respected, and full of hope for my mental clarity than I do with each passing session with my therapist. Join the 3 million plus people, that plus being me, who have taken charge of their mental health when experience better health therapists. As a special bonus offer to listeners, you get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. Remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. And I do think there's... So, so yeah, we went through some... Um, I think it was more psychology than... It was talking therapy, um, yeah. which was helpful and I think made us... I very much looked at our relationship and, for example, how Dan was coping and how him, he, he's quite bad for, like, opening up and he, he'll, he like, bundle things up and then they'll come out and I'll be like, well, yeah. I knew that four weeks ago, but because you're <laughs> I'm just sat here, like, guessing what the problem is. So that process kind of helped with that. Um, and then I... I self-referred again at that point. And luckily, when you're post-natal, um, is that the right term? You, post, you sort of fast-track. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. You're fast-tracked if you've got any mental health problems. Sure, right. Um, so I'd, I'd self Maybe I hadn't self-referred. Maybe this was through the health visitor. But again, had some talking therapy. Um I think I do you know what I really can't even remember and it wasn't it couldn't have been that long ago because Eloise is only 18 months old so it's, it's funny how much my brain's probably like yep yeah, you've dealt with that you've done that Let's <laughs> and <move> we're done <laughs> um, but I think a lot of that looked at I suppose things like grief because when you go through uh, that sort of experience there is a lot of grief there of it's a, like it's I said, a version early, of it sure absolutely like 
I've lost my you haven't lost your pregnancy as such obviously I've you know and it's a tricky one because people will say but she's healthy and you came home with a baby and could have gone a lot worse and it could have done but it doesn't take away the experience that you've had there's a connection Um, there you know and and grief is is a loss of a connection and and you know you you you've you know felt like you I don't want to say like you didn't do your job entirely as a mom before, exactly. but you felt like there was still something else you 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 were supposed to do, you know? I mean, yeah. especially if you're reading all the things that happen, you know, day to day, week to week, you know, month to month when you're pregnant, it's like, oh gosh, like what if she doesn't have this? Or what if I, you know, she wasn't in there, you know? I mean, so I, I, I absolutely am with you on that one. And I, I, it does feel like, and I've heard a lot of other mums to preemie say the same thing where it does feel like you've not done your job. And that's yeah. something that you have to talk through as well, where it's like it's, you know, you literally had, you know, you've done, like you say, you've ticked all the boxes. You're not drinking, you're not smoking, you're not having caffeine, you're not, you know, you're going for walks, you're doing everything you're meant to do. And for whatever reason, yeah. it happened. Yeah. But you do feel like as the mum and, you know, there is that responsibility of, OK, well, if, you know, there's lots of things that come with being premature that, Eloise still may have that we don't know about. Yeah. Um, where you think, what did I do to yeah. make that happen? And yeah. I, I think that's quite hard for people like Dan as well because Dan must look at me and think you're you're mad because you you know when you're not in the the person. Yeah. You can look from the outside and say I, I can't believe you feel like that. Yeah. But it's very and the, the loss of the last ten weeks. And also the loss of my maternity leave. I mean, again, at the time I was made redundant, sure. so I'd, I'd lost my, I was paid for my maternity leave. But then I, I actually, when I was made redundant, was thinking, oh, okay, well, I've just got a bit of a longer maternity leave now because yeah. I've got a bit more time off before time. Louise comes. And then she literally came. So my contract finished on the Wednesday and my waters broke on the Thursday. Oh, God. So, yeah, so I literally had no maternity leave. Yeah. And because of the situation I was in, I was going to go self-employed. So now I'm self-employed and I had already started going through the process of setting some clients up. So in my head, I knew when I was due, I was going to then let those clients know, okay, this is this this one plan. And I ended up having two weeks off because I I then (laughs) was in a position where I couldn't afford to not work right. because I st- started the process of building up this client. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, completely lost my maternity leave. And then, then there's a, a bit of anger as well that you, I had to deal with anyway, because of why I felt what, how it had happened. Um, and I never got any answers either. So, no, when you go into labor early for me anyway they checked my urine they checked my blood and they checked my placenta and there was nothing in there clinically wrong with me right and that kind of leaves it a bit open-ended like you'll never know why it happened you can make assumptions but there's never that sort of close off and if if dan and i do have another baby there's never anything that's going to say well this happened last time because of this right to make sure it will or won't happen again um so yeah, there was lots, <clears throat> lots to talk through when I had that talking therapy. Um, it's interesting now that I speak about it. I think like, is that all resolved? And I don't think it is. Um, but I think you learn to manage it, don't you? You learn to like, it's just been part of your, like yeah. you said earlier, your lived experience. Just is there something you've yeah. handled? And I think that's something that, you know, it sounds like you're, you're kind of aware of, at least as a, as a parent that it, you do like, and I think they probably mentioned it, but maybe something like a brief sentence, you weren't really, you were reading the whole paragraph and you missed it, that it does just kind of kick in the part that's, you know, a challenge, I think, is that, you know, you may not be aware that it kicked in, you know, that you're ready for this and, you know, you're not aware what, what, when it does kick in, what that means for you, you know, um, and I mean, as I'm listening to you talk about Dan there that, I mean, that's a whole nother ball of wax too, that everybody has their role and, you know, it sounds like it's defined, but not really, you know, I mean, there's not, there's some situations 
just like you were talking about with just, you know, being depressed and, and, and anxious, you have no idea what's going to come next. You know, the best you can do is just say, okay, I'm, this is probably going to happen. Um, this is probably not going to be fun at some point. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think that's very reasonable to, to think like that and have those thoughts in the back of your head. Um, it, it's, it's, it's having to, you know, be able to, to talk yourself through it or be able to, to reach out. And it sounds like, I'll tell you just quickly about our experience and, and what, what baffles me. And while I'm, I'm probably going to just save your information because one day I'm going to do this all on the data and because it's both fascinating and terrifying for me. So when our son was born, um, it, it, I don't think it's, when you said psychologists came in and talked to you, I was like, ah, there's, that definitely didn't happen. Um, maybe if, it, maybe if they saw panic in our faces, maybe, I don't know, but you know, you have all those other specialists that check in and go, okay, I'm this and this doctor, you know, I'm here on the floor if you need me, but it's like, you don't know what you need at that point, you know, Absolutely. sure. Um, maybe I'll see you later. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but that didn't happen. I can tell you for sure that there was not a psychologist, but there was this nice little form. And I don't think that happened with our daughter at all. Um, same health system. So I don't know what changed in 22 months. Um, but I remember filling out the form for my wife because at the moment, you know, she was, you know, taking care of our son, like, you know, I think maybe just feeding him before we were about to leave the hospital in a little while, but I'm able to answer most of the questions, but I think the, the one that stood out was asking if she felt sad or, you know, crying or depressed or any and all of the above. And I mean, her quick response was like, don't, don't say yes, because I know what that means. They're going to panic. And of course I'm, I'm, I'm sad and scared and anxious. Like this is, this is a new situation, but she, when she said it to me, I, I at least can go, yeah, I know she's okay. That's fine that we're not being completely honest with this form, but how many people walk away from a situation even, you know, and that's, this was a, you know, fairly normal pregnancy and there was nothing, nothing early, nothing traumatic, nothing, anything like that. But how many people are in your situation that get something like that or have the psychologist come and see them and they go, I guess, is this normal? Um, no, I'm okay. And they're not. <laughs> and then they just let you go, you know, and there's nothing, no follow-up, no, you know, check-in as far as like, how are you doing as a parent? And yeah, it's not the sleep things. It's not the, the eating. It's not the rashes. It's not any of that. It's the... To me, it's the situations that pop up that make you go, ooh, I, that kind of triggered a, you know, an anxious response or an anger or something that, where did that come from? It's yeah. that, that nobody's addressing. But so how do you, as, as, as a parent now, how do you see all that? You know, and looking, you said, you've said several times looking back, but having um, to start kind of early, what, what does that, what does that do for your preparedness? I mean, I don't think you can be prepared whenever you do it but I think one of the things that was difficult particularly I mean you couldn't really have a preemie baby at a worse time because we were in the middle of the pandemic um so none of our parents were able to meet Eloise yeah. until she came home and I know that's an interesting point as well you know I know my family or my mum she was like I don't feel like a nanny yet because she's just this yeah. picture that I've that is it's not palpable um yeah. and they kind of feel lost as well because there's nothing anyone that can can do to you know you're the only ones being down we're the only ones could, that could go to hospital I mean we were lucky yeah. in terms of possibly a few months before us it was literally you had to book a two-hour slot to go onto the NICU ward or it was a case of like only one of you could go at a time. You couldn't both be there because that was too many people. Yeah. Please. So we were lucky in terms of we could both be there and we could be there 24-7 if we wanted to. Um, but there's nothing that other people can do to support you in that situation other than, I mean, there is, you know, can I cook you some food? That was really helpful. Can I? But yeah. these things are helpful whether you have an early baby or not. So people bringing you food or offering to clean or all those sorts of things are really helpful when you've got a new those right those are the things that really like are more supportive right in the end yeah. <laughs> rather than like can i come around for a cup of tea no but you can clean my <laughs> <No>. bathroom 
Um, so what did we do for preparedness? I mean, I think it's still difficult when you bring a preemie home because so we we brought Eloise, she did five weeks on NICU. So when she came home, she was theoretically 35 weeks gestation. So she was still five weeks before full, full term when she came home. And she's this little dot, like little tiny, tiny. And I suppose there is that fear of like getting in the car for the first time. And, And again, I think this is all the same for most new parents like getting a full-size baby in the car for the first time is scary um but getting in the car and they can't and they can't help you with that either like i think that's that was the first like (laughs) moment for us that and thank god we had like a nurse that was like oh i can't really but i can kind of point this out but that was it like that was i think at least for me that's when it hit was like oh crap like like you're on your out now (laughs) now we're totally i find that crazy as well like I'm not sure what's the better situation because we, so I was actually in hospital myself, I think for three days, but obviously then we were there for five weeks before we went home. But our system, they try and get you in and out of hospital within like six hours or something. Yeah. And for a first time mum, I I don't know what's worse. I mean, obviously five weeks in hospital is worse, but (laughs) in my opinion, but we'd, the funny thing for us about NICU is we were kind of taught how to be parents. So they showed us how to change a nappy. They showed us mm-hmm. how to feed a bottle. They showed us yeah. how to breastfeed. Like I mean, you do get that. I don't think they'll let you go out of hospital until your baby feeds, whether that's bottle or breast right. anyway. But we kind of had this education on how to parent while we were there. And although all these bad or scary things and frustrating things and I remember saying to Dan like I can't imagine ever coming home like I just feel like this is life now because it's just so in the moment you can't see past live you know you're surviving at that point yeah but we were getting this like education you know I could change a nappy through a incubator with my eyes closed by the end of it like trying to change a nappy (laughs) standing up now is not an issue because I've had to go upside down so if if on the other hand we'd have had this normal experience and normal experience and gone home on the day there's part of me that thinks well that's terrifying as well because like I don't know how to change a nappy I've never done it before especially when you're having that pregnancy through COVID because you don't have those face-to-face lessons where they might get a doll out or whatever, you know, they do. We had everything online and, you know, it was like watching balloons being blown up to show you what a service was like and all that sort of thing. But (laughs) you didn't get any, like, hands-on experience and you couldn't even go and visit other babies because, again, we were in COVID. So, um, So, yeah, in one respect, it... It was a, not a good experience, but it had its positives because, yeah, we had this education that yeah. we needed. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the same either way. I, I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, it, it was a full term for, for both of them for the most part. Um, daughter just a slight bit earlier, but still, I mean, it's, it's exactly, I mean, it sounds like it mirrored. Um, I, I want to say that they give you, I want to say today that you can stay um, here. Like, so whenever that is, whenever the clock started, um, but again, I mean, still want you, which I get, you know, right. It's like this hard balance. And it's like, you understand like the hospital is the worst place to be um, all together because you're around other sick people, and especially with like a small one. So you get that, but then it's like, <laughs> you, you know, you, you wait, this is a big situation. You want me to do yeah. what when I get home? <laughs> um, but then, you know, the other side, I also understand that, right. That, you can have somebody do it all the time because you are, you know, but so it's, it's, it's a weird, I, I mean, I'm with you. It's a hard balance, you know, and you know, they don't tell you, you could practice on a little, and if you had a chance to practice with a little, you know, a doll to do it, that one's not moving. That yeah. one's not screaming. That one's not making it, you know, you know, adding other factors in there. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think it's, there's things that they're not going to prepare you for, but there's certainly, not a mental health like you know aspect to it that's really going to help you pay attention to what not even you know even not even like a how-to but like a hey by the way 
that kid's probably going to scream at the most inopportune time. And it might cause you to be anxious and elicit response. Just an FYI. You know, there's not even a that. Um, Um, So, go ahead. What was I going to say about (laughs) mental health on on release from hospital? Um, Oh, yeah. So, I was reading, there's some good... um, Instagram accounts, I'll have to forward them to you um, for premature babies. And there's a lot around PTSD and how often for, don't quote me on these numbers, but <laughs> often for parents to premature babies, the PTSD doesn't kick in until, for example, nine months after your baby's born. So often by that point, all of the sort of reach out has stopped. Um, like you say you know you might get the initial well are you okay well at that point you're still like I said earlier you're just surviving like yeah I mean during our Niku stay for the most part yeah I was okay because you you're just so tunnel visioned on yeah Eloise surviving and you surviving and not keeling over because you're so tired and stressed (laughs) that like you don't really care I mean Especially, this is another thing, and this is from a physical perspective. I so I had to have surgery after Eloise because my placenta didn't detach, and I'd also had a I, I was um, cut. So, but because your baby's then taken away from you onto another ward, you literally don't get. I mean, you do get recovery time, and you're not told yeah. right. Well, you have to get up and and go and see your baby. You're not told that, and I think in one respect, the nurses would rather you stayed in bed as long as possible because you've obviously just gone through quite a traumatic experience. But I remember just this, I had to go and see her. Obviously, I had to go and see her. But then you'd get no recovery time because you're then having to look after this premature baby. And I suppose the same with any other, you know, if you've had a cesarean, there's no recovery time really because who else is, you know, obviously you've got, hopefully a partner there or yeah a family with your mom yeah you know and there will be that instinct always to right i need to get up i need to go and do this yeah um but yeah going back to premature parents often that ptsd doesn't kick in until a lot longer yeah. down the line because you are just surviving and you are you know there is that flight or f- flight or fight mode where you're just having to get on with it but the outreach stops after however many weeks at at which point you are you know you like you say and and there is a big thing around you know I don't want to say that I'm anxious or worried or and my anxiety definitely sprung up after I had Eloise and that's just a hormonal thing but well I think anyway but I'm lucky enough that I know okay, well, I can put my medication up a little bit and that will level it out. And that's what I did. I tried to bring my medication down at one point and I was worried that I was going to, I think I'd said to Dan, like, I'm worried that I'm going to just push you in front of a car. Like, for no reason. I There was no part of me that wanted to do that. But what if I did? Yeah. What if I just pushed him in front of a car? And when things like that start going off in my head, that's when I'm like, right, you need to put your medication up because that's so irrational and there's nothing driving that thought whatsoever um but that's where i'm lucky that i now can identify that and know i was just gonna say you have some sign of awareness at least you know that's unique really that that's totally off balance yeah here's what you need to do to re-stabilize that yeah um and luckily dan's just like okay (laughs) all right (laughs) You're all right. That's not completely <laughs> rational. Um, so, so yeah, so there was, I think there was a period after I'd had Eloise where hormonally that wasn't right. And I just knew, okay, well, I need to put my medication up. And I've got a really good doctor. Now, well, not that I ever see the same doctor, but the, the doctor I seem to see quite regularly said, you know, you can bring your medication down if you want to, but I want you to do it every summer. So I want you to come down 10 milligrams oh, in the summer. And then another yeah. 10 milligrams the next summer rather than just all at once. Or, yeah. yeah, all at once or through the, through the year. And then you're doing it in December when it's horrible and you're going to more likely be a bit depressed anyway. Yeah. So I think that's important as well is that 
now we're having this sort of new generation of doctors and nurses come through that actually have a more modern approach to mental yeah. health. And, and think about, right, and think about that part as well as, you know, whatever they're been trained on and went to school for. Yeah. So just to, to like tie it all in a nice little bow then, um, what would you say to somebody, you know, having your same lived experience or, or going through it, has gone through it, what was... What was this, the thing that really kind of let you breathe each day um, or is, you know, even to this day getting you through? For, from my experience as a parent to a premature baby, they are hard as nails. <laughs> they are the <laughs> hardest little people going. <laughs> so I guess the one thing, the, I've had friends that have, not had similar experiences but have also had to go through NICU after me and and luckily as well so I've had a couple of people I know that went through it before me and was able to I was able to reach out and it, you do there is this sort of unspoken bond of NICU parents where it's like you find out that they'd also done it and then you're like sort of taken under the wing of yeah. this, this NICU parenthood but you will get through it that is that is all I can say is that it will feel during going through it, it will feel like you'll never see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you will. And whatever outcome that is, it might not be the best outcome, but you will get through that. Hmm. I just, I just think people that go through those sorts of experiences generally come out much harder than they went into it. And certainly for the babies, like I know a few preemie babies and they're all absolute hard nuts. <laughs> What's Your Story is produced by me, JD, with background piano music by Chad Lawson. These beautiful stories, though, are all yours. So if you've got a story you want to share, you could do so by heading to fragilemoments.org slash tellyourstory. If there's something that resonated with you today, let me know by sending me an email at jd.jedi at fragilemoments.org or simply just tag at StorySharingPod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for choosing to listen, and I look forward to hearing your story one day, because we all have within us a story to tell, a song yet unsung.